0: So we spend a lot of time waiting. You ever notice, you know, specifically maybe if we think about the medical field right now, we spend a lot of time getting appointments and sitting in offices. You know, it takes us a while to get an appointment. Then when we finally get an appointment, then we sit in an office that has no magazines in it anymore. And then, then the uh, attendant there, the nurse, the, uh, the administrator there says, well, let me lead you to another room, and then we go to another room, and then we wait there too. And now there's really no magazines and there's nothing there to look at other than what Q-tips and hand wash things. There's nothing to do. And time stands still. Have you ever noticed that? We spend a lot of time waiting. We can't wait till we're 16. We can't wait till we're 21. We can't wait till we get married. We can't wait till we graduate. We can't wait till the light turns green. We can't wait for our mail order to come. Do you remember years ago? I could talk to this group because you guys all know this. Do you remember when we, you'd get like a box of cereal and there'd be a little coupon back there on the back, and, and you really wanted specifically that little trinket toy? And you had to fill out that little coupon and put it in an envelope and lick a stamp and send it. And I hated those words lit, written on the very bottom of the advertisement for whatever trinket toy it was, delivery time, six to ten weeks. <laughs> Do you remember dropping that, that letter in the mail? And about four days later, you're running out the mailbox thinking you're going to get that thing. And it seemed like forever. Do you remember how long it took to get from Christmas to Christmas and birthday to birthday? I feel like I have celebrated two birthdays in the last year and a half. <laughs> you know? Christmas. And, you know. So, you know, oftentimes we went for an occupation to come. I had a professor in Bible college, a pastoral ministries professor, he told us in a whole session he took, he took the whole class time and talked about waiting in ministry. He said, Young people, you're going to go into ministry and you're going to find yourself very actively involved in people's lives, but there's an element of your life that you really never address is the time in which you wait. You wait in hospital waiting rooms, you wait for people to call, you wait for appointments to keep in terms of ministry uh, responsibilities. You just wait and wait. And he took a whole class and said, be prepared to wait. Always stick in the back of your mind, what will I do to fill my time? Besides, we only have X amount of time in this life. We should fill it with the things that are important. Not only in our life, but for the kingdom. So let me give you a definition of to wait. It's enduring the passing of time, circumstances or events, while we anticipate a favorable outcome. Does that kind of define what waiting is all about? We're waiting for things to come by. We're going to be looking in the book of James, so if you have your Bibles with you, or if you have your phone, uh, you can go ahead and look to the book of James. We'll be looking in chapter 5, but the book of James is a very intriguing book. It's called the, uh, the Proverbs of the New Testament, because there's so much practical understanding uh, of godly wisdom, and James identifies the typical challenges that are faced by Christians, and then he is also recognizing Christians in the aspect of worldliness and double mindedness, and God directs our lives, and we're to live lives of integrity. So it's very, very full. And as Charlotte read this line, our scripture is taken out of James chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. And so there's three things we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at holding on while we wait and consider our predecessors. So this word patience, it says, um, It says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. This word patient isn't the same type of word that we discovered when we were looking at the fruits of the Spirit over the last few weeks. That type of patience is a steadfastness of soul when provoked or annoyed or challenged. But this is not what that patience is all about. The patience that we're looking at today is a long-suffering endurance knowing that we're going to have to circumstances of life. Can't make things go faster, can't slow things down. When we exercise endurance over challenges, we have no control of the outcome, but we are to exercise patience. Endurance. Oftentimes, it's called long suffering. Then our writer tells us, James says, listen, think about Think about the the farmer who waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until the early and the late rains. There's a couple of things about farmers. Now, I'm not a farmer. We've done the gardening thing, but that's not really considered farming when you're thinking about harvesting a large amount of produce. But a farmer knows a couple of things. He knows, without a doubt, that, that there is an outcome. There will be an outcome. I remember living in eastern Washington in Spokane. In the late summer, early fall, it is a beautiful place in the Palouse. The rolling wheat fields that are there are truly golden yellow that is there, that is just phenomenal. The time of the harvest, the farmers always knew that there was going to be a time there's going to be a harvest. There will be combines that will come and cut rows through these rolling hills to harvest that precious wheat that we also enjoy with a loaf of bread that we don't think too much about. But the farmer knows certainly the outcome. But the farmer also knows that there's a process of things that have to happen before that harvest takes place. He's the the writer talks about the early and the late rains. There's things that have to happen. There has to be cultivation. There has to be the expectation that that his farm will be nourished by moisture and protected against the elements. And only God can do that. So the writer James is saying, just think about the farmer as He's thinking about that precious, I like that, precious produce. There's nothing better than picking a nice, red, ripe apple and taking a bite out of it. We would all say that that's a precious experience but he also knows that harvest is coming and a process has to take place. But in considering that, we need to think about our lives in the same kind of thought. We, we know a couple of things. We see that, yes, we see in the scripture, well, as a farmer, be patient. In verse 8, you too be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So we see this harvest is going to take place and it's called the coming of Christ. Jesus Christ is coming back. Amen. Amen. Don't forget that. When things get dark and dry, and when we are troubled and fearful, and things are complicated, and things are confusing, just remember, just keep looking to the east, because our Lord is going to step into our dimension and He will deliver us. Now, I'm not a prophet, or a son of a prophet, though my dad's name is Paul, <laughs> or the son of an apostle. I believe the Lord's is coming very soon. Don't we sense it? The, the tumultuousness of our time. You know, the writers of the New Testament told us, it tells us that there's going to be great tribulation. And that means that word tribulation is an interesting word. It means there's going to be churning that's taking place. That there's going to be unrest and instability. There's going to be misguidance. and There's going to be disruption. And there's going to be deception. And you know what? We stand back and look at our culture. Do we have to look too far? and not see these things, they're all around us. We've never lived in a time like this. And it's interesting, too, one more thing before we go on. These are all freebies, okay? (laughs) Is that we have no model to follow after. You know, we can't look back to our parents' lives who taught us how to do the basics and be people of integrity and honesty. We, we, in in times of challenge, we, we don't have that. We don't have that, that direction of times of, of pandemic or in times of political unrest. We don't have that, the model of financial difficulty. We all have, have elements of all these things, but we have a model that will direct us through this. So I guess the best thing that we can do, when all the world falls down around us, we just keep our eyes on Jesus. Amen. Amen. He's going to redirect our lives. We're going to experience life like no other generation before us in recent history. And so again, you hear me harping on the fact that yes, this is a time for us to shine as Christians. Yes, you and I, whether we like it or not, we are God's representation to this world. We are the revelation of God. We have to remember that we have a role to keep. We're not to be back in the corners, hunker down, and fearful. We have a message of light and life to tell. Amen. Amen. And you can say it with a mask on. I tell you what, there's a lot of freedom not to have a mask on up here I've been looking so forward to this day so back to the farmer issue okay? so the farmer knows, yes the harvest is coming, and yes there's a process that has to happen, well we as Christians know the harvest is coming we know that Jesus Christ is going to come back and take us to be with himself or we will have the privilege of stepping into glory because he's invited his home, and he will lead us through the gates of it, into his presence but we also know there's a process, right? He's not through with us yet. Let's look at Philippians chapter 1. <clears throat> chapter 1. Paul writes, For I am confident as is this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. This is a promise. This is a projection. Paul says, God's not through with you until he's through with you. He will complete what he has started. Many of us will say, I wonder why I'm not gone." I think about Eden. You know Every, it seems like every other conversation I have with Alice's mom, he just says, I'm ready to go, and I don't know why. And all we can do is come back to this promise and say, apparently God's not through with you here yet, no matter what you think. It's not time." And how old's he to now? 97. 97 years old. Amazing. Amazing. So we know that, there, that the Lord's coming back. We understand that there's a process. But there's this anticipation about his coming back. Paul and the writers of the New Testament thought that Jesus was going to come back in their lifetime. In fact, they were so serious about it. The church at Thessalonica, they had a problem. People were quitting their jobs. And they were just hanging out. Because they thought the Lord was going to come back any moment at that particular time in their life. This would be like us saying, I believe the Lord's coming back in a very short amount of time. I'm going to quit my job and run up my credit card bill. <laughs> That's the same attitude. Paul says, don't do that. He says, if you don't work, you don't eat. If you don't take care of your responsibilities, you're not being the Christian that God has made you to be. Get back to work. So we are to be diligent. But while we wait, we have to hang on. We have to hang on to the promises. It was in September of 1987, an event took place that pretty much was unnoticed. But because of history of of my life and my interest, I guess, it just piqued my interest. Way back in my Bible college days, I came across an article. A situation happened in September of 1987. There was an airplane that took off out of uh, Maine. I want to say Boston. It was a commuter airplane. It was a Beechcraft 99. We have a picture of it right here. Dan will show you. This is a commuter aircraft. And it'll be here. There it is. This plane took off. It was empty. It had a pilot and a co-pilot in it. And then all of a sudden, the pilot looked at the dashboard, and there was a light that came on that said the passenger door was ajar. And so the pilot, whose last name was Jim C looked to his co-pilot and said, hey, I'm going to hand you this the stick. I need to go check this door. And so he walked to the back part of the airplane. As he reached for that door, or the passenger door, the door fell open. And the pilot fell out. They had just taken off. They were probably 15, 20 minutes into their flight. This aircraft here flies at over 287 miles an hour. They were several thousand feet up. When this pilot fell out of the airplane, it, the the, class, the collapsible stairway... Um, a uh, panel went down, and he grabbed hold of the panel, wrapped his legs around the stairs, and hung on for his dear life on the outside of his aircraft, flying over 287 miles an hour. Now the co-pilot heard what happened. He yelled back to Dempsey. Dempsey didn't answer, and so the co-pilot thought for sure that he had lost his friend. So the co-pilot radioed the, uh, the control tower and said, we're going to circle back. This is what happened. So they did circle back and the control tower grabbed their binoculars and they looked look and they could see Dempsey hanging on the outside of this aircraft. And when that aircraft sat down, when the landing gear shifted down at the weight of the airplane, his head was less than eight inches above the ground. He rolled over, the the the, the, the emergency vehicles showed up, the plane rolled over to the side of the, the runway and the emergency vehicles got there and they literally had to pry this man's body that was clinging to the only thing that would make him self survive was this stairway that collapsed and fell. He survived. The news reporter said it was amazing that he hung on, considering the speed and the fear and the temperature. Truly amazing. And I find that story... Pretty inspiring, if you think about it. The only thing that kept him alive was a stairwell in a time of a tumultuous trial. Let me remind you that we have a stairwell in Jesus Christ. When when it falls open and we fall out, we can hang on to him. Because he will never forget us and he will never let us go. So we hang on. And James tells us, listen, he says, do not complain, brethren, against one another, that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Do not complain. So when in this time in our life that we're to strengthen our hearts, we're to remind ourselves, yes, Jesus is coming. He's at hand. But we're not to complain as we relate to one another. We're not to grumble. We're not to, to live in such a way because we're impatient. This is seen as actually judging. Now listen, when we're facing challenges, now when James James wrote this, he knew the church was going to face a huge persecution, and he was preparing them for this. This is an appeal for unity, is what this is all about. And so when the challenges come, and we know that we're waiting for Christ to come back, don't grumble against one another. Don't complain against one another. In fact, when we try to do that, We're very selfish in our attitudes toward one another. We can develop an attitude of pride as we relate to people. We can say that you know this situation, this person, this personality, I'm not going to pay any mind because they're insignificant in my eyes. We may look at a, a person, an individual, that we would probably grumble against because we look at them as being immature. We can grumble against those who we believe are ignorant. We can grumble against those who just think that we have brought, they have brought a very annoying influence into our lives. I have a question for all of us. Who do we think we are? When we're called to love one another. We're called to have compassion with one another. When we start grumbling, you know what we do? We put ourselves first. And then eventually we isolate ourselves. And if we continue to grumble, we will bring division in the congregation. Now, James says something very interesting. He says this. James chapter 4, verse 11. He says, do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against his brethren, or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. So what is the law? To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, thy strength, and all thy might, and to do what? Love thy neighbor as yourself. When we decide to grumble, when we think someone's annoying, we think someone's ignorant, we think someone's immature, and we voice that, we're saying, I'm above the law of loving. We become the judge of God. That that law doesn't, doesn't depend on me. You are called to live in the love, in the law of the love of God toward one another. That's why he says don't judge, because you know what? The judge is at the door. The judge is at the door. That means he's present. It means he's returning. In fact, Acts 17, verse 30 and 31, powerful verses as Paul is confronting the philosophers, uh, uh, Epicurean philosophers and Stoic philosophers, and he says this, Again, Philippians. No, excuse me, Acts chapter 17. There it is. So here's Paul speaking, talking about judgment. Therefore, Paul goes into great literary conversation with these philosophers, talking to them about the worldview in reference to Jesus Christ. Paul says, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to all men everywhere should repent, because he has fixed a day in which he will he will judge the world in righteousness through a man. Who's the man? Christ, a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Jesus Christ is qualified to be the judge of humanity. And Paul is saying right here, that the judge is right at the door. Be careful how we relate to each other. Now, I've been in situations in courtrooms. Because church members find themselves in some bad situations sometimes. And so I've been sitting with church members, and then there would be the bailiff that would come in. And they would say, Arise. Everybody stand up. The Honorable Judge is here, and the court is now in session. There's going to be a day in which the bailing, the archangel, will blow a trumpet. And he'll say, Arise, the Honorable Judge Jesus Christ is here, and the court is now in session. What is the responsibility of the judge? Have you ever thought about these things? Jesus, the judge, is right at the door. What is he going to do? Well, number one, his responsibility, he is appointed to resolve differences. Number two, to institute truth and justice. To establish what is proper. Number four, to give, rebel, uh, excuse me, to give resolution to the circumstances. The judge is at the door, and this is what he will do. He will present righteousness and truth and direction, and he will do what is right and proper and just. And so the Bible is saying don't judge, one, you're out of your, you're too big for your britches. You're way past your pay grade. The one is coming will judge righteously. And he goes on to say, consider our predecessors. So hold on. Hold on. Know as a farmer what needs to take place because the harvest is coming. While we wait, don't grumble against one another. Remember that Jesus is coming back. As we need to consider our predecessors because he says in James chapter 5, verse 10, As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the endurance of Job and has seen the outcome of the Lord's dealing, that the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. Consider those who have gone before us. The prophets. We think of Noah, and Elijah, and Isaiah, and Jeremiah. We think of Jonah, and Ezekiel, and Daniel, and Amos, and Micah, and Malachi. We can go on and on. Zephaniah, and Zechariah, all of those. We consider them... Blessed Blessed means fortunate. We consider them fortunate for those who had suffered, who demonstrated patience. They dealt with the nation's evil, their religious climate, their own personal struggle, people's hearts, corruption. Deception. They dealt with life. In a world that says, look the other way. In a time that says, you're your own boss. It takes a real committed person, man, and woman of God to struggle with the real issues of spirituality. And with that comes suffering. Listen. They were waiting with patience and endurance for God to accomplish His purpose. Remember them. Remember them. We count them blessed. We count them fortunate. In fact, detail, James says, let's remember Job. Let's remember him. He lost everything. I wrote this down in my note just slow down. <laughs> Let's savor the moment to think about Job, who is the oldest prophet in the Old Testament. The book of Job is the oldest book, and it deals with the reality of evil and how that comes about and how it affects us. Satan came to God you know, when we talk about the testing of Job, Satan was really testing God. Satan came to God and said, is there any righteousness in anybody in the land? I says, look at Job, consider him. Satan says, that's not true. He'll deny you. Just take away what he has." God says, go ahead. And did you remember the story. In just a few short hours, Job lost everything. He lost his children, all of them. And I know many of you know what it's like to lose a child, I don't, but to lose them all you in one afternoon would be horribly, immeasurable pain. He lost his wealth, Job was one of the wealthy patriarchs of the time. He was a man of abundance, a man of material. And Satan came back and said, "You know, what about Job?" And God said, didn't I, "Didn't I tell you?" And Satan says, "Well, skin for skin, you take his health, he'll, he'll curse you to your face." And God says, "See." As you recall the story, Job developed a horrible skin disorder. From head to toe, boils burst out upon him, horribly painful. So wretched was his life that he sat on an ash heap and scraped his sores at the top. Of the he lost everything. He lost his family. He lost his wealth. He lost his status in the community. He was known as a patriarch. He lost his position of being a family priest, and now he's lost his health. He was living death. And then later, his three friends come to scrutinize and to criticize He never really knew why he experienced what he did, but he didn't lose his integrity. In fact, Job six six ten says this: "It is my still my consolation, and I rejoice in unsparing pain." That I have not denied the words of the Holy One. He says in Job sixteen or thirteen fifteen. He continues. These are the words of Job's mouth. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Nevertheless, I will argue my ways before him. Job nineteen twenty five says this. As for me, I know that my redeemer lives. And at last, he will take his stand on the earth. A.J. Tozier said something very interesting. Tozier was an author, a writer, a preacher, a man of God. Tozier said this, God never uses anyone greatly until he tests them deeply. Well, there came a time in Job's life where he had enough, and he decided to challenge God. We don't hear too much about that. One thing I really appreciate in the Bible is we get the grit of human experience. We get the truth of the struggle of humanity. We don't get a fairy story where it says everyone lives happily ever after. We don't know that. But Job had enough. And he wanted to call God on the carpet. And he said in Job 31 and following, I'll just bounce through. He said, if I have walked with falsehood, and if my foot has hastened to deceive, let him weigh me with accurate scales. If my heart has been enticed by a woman, or if I've lurked at my neighbor's door, may my wife grind your, uh, grind for another. He says, I've not done this. He says, have I despised the claim of my male or female slaves? Have I disregarded the lowly, is what he says. Have I kept the poor from their desire? Have I trodden down those that are without, he saying, If I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing? Or if the needy had needed covering, I have taken care of this. If I've lifted my hand against the orphan, and if I had uh, lifted the support at the gate, if I put my confidence in gold and called fine gold my trust? Have I, rejoiced, have I rejoiced in the extinction of my enemy or exulted when evil had fallen him? But listen to this. This is where it gets truthful. Job has had enough. Oh, that I have one to hear me. Behold, here is my signature, he said. Let the Almighty answer me. And in the indictment which my adversary has written, Surely I would carry it on my shoulder, I would bind it to myself like a crown. I would declare to him the number of my steps, like a prince, I would approach him. Job is calling God on the carpet. That God is good. Later in Job. Wait a minute.. Later in Job. God, is had enough? God answered Job out of the whirlwind and he said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now Job, gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Then he goes on to say, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place? Have you entered into the springs of the sea? Have you walked in the recesses of the day? Can you lead forth the constellation in its season and guide the bear with constellation and her satellites? Have you known the ordinances of the heavens or fixed the rule of the earth? do you know the time of the mountain goats when they give birth? And he goes on and on. And then Job answered and said, I know that you can do all things. And he says, I repent in dust and ashes. So we are to think, as James put it, the times of patience and suffering, we just remember those who have gone on before us. And we can trust that they lived in a way that their hearts were torn and their lives were tried, that they remained faithful, even though their times and their life they faced the grit of their existence. But God is patient and He's faithful to understand. The scripture says, Then the Lord blessed Job his latter days more than his beginning. Job God. Less the remainder of Job's life. Now, while we wait, while we wait for our Lord returns, let's recognize is that there's things that have to happen. We have to recognize yes, the harvest will come. We have to recognize what how precious our relationships are with one another, and how we treat each other or are scripturally based in our respect. Confidence and our kindness, and when the tough gets going, let's remember those who went going tough, and they remained faithful. Now, as we close today, we don't know where all this is going to go, but you know something: by you being here today, you're speaking volumes of your anticipation and your respect of God. In the value of your relationship with Him. Be strong. Be committed. Be faithful. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity. Once again, you have blessed us to open your word. We thank you for the truthfulness that we find in it. I ask that you would bless every household here. Thank you for allowing them to be here. Thank you for the safety that you provided. Now our hearts go out. To our church who we so deeply love and miss. All those who would love to be here. Father, I ask that you would bless their hearts. Redeem their lives. Cause them to rise to the challenge. Drive them to your word. Exercise their faith. Trust that they will trust you. So we thank you that you have blessed us. We ask that you would continue, and we honor you in the name of Jesus, we pray, and as we wait upon him. Amen.